0: We're going to stand and worship, but why don't we uh, just welcome him and remind ourselves why it is we're here. Does anyone know why we're here? Why are we here? What? Give him the glory. glory. That is the reason. It's interesting, isn't it? Most of my life I've sort of gone to church wanting something, wanting blessing of one sort or another and the amazing thing about our God is that's what he wants to do but it isn't the reason we come to church the reason we gather like this is to worship him and that it might be a fragrant offering of sacrifice to him it's about him and actually not so much about us Father, thank you Thank you for your love for each one of us. Thank you that you chose us before the foundations of the world were even laid. Thank you that you're passionate about each one of us. You've purposed our lives. Every life is supremely valuable to you. But we gather this morning to honor you to worship you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to give you praise. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you inhabit our praises. We thank you, Jesus, that you said, where just a handful are gathered, you are there with them. And we got way more than just a few this morning. You are here, Jesus, in our midst. And the even greater revelation is that by Holy Spirit you have made your home in each one of us. The trying God living within. Extraordinary. Thank you. Thank you Holy Spirit that you make that possible. Let the reality of that really land in our hearts this morning. God within us. God around us. God amongst us. We worship you this morning, we give you praise. Everything we do, everything we say, every thought we have, we ask, Holy Spirit, that it would be a fragrant offering to Father. In Jesus' name, to your glory, Father, amen.
1: What a powerful name, what a powerful name. It's the name of Jesus, we worship you. You are God with us. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are always with us. You are always with us. We worship you, living Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you. God. As we were worshiping, I had a picture um, from that story of um, the coin in the mouth of the fish. And I believe that um, there are some of you here who are anxious about your finances and um, just worrying about provision. And um, I have a a sense of the Lord just to to say, to to go and. uh, specifically I felt because that is about uh, Jesus says to Peter to go and fish and of course fishing was Peter's business so I feel like some of you uh, for somebody here who's in business and you're struggling to pay your suppliers and you're anxious um, about um, upsetting your supplies I feel like the Lord's got a tax rebate for you and to go and check, go and check And then somebody has given us uh, this word, which beautifully ties in with that, which says, the bill has been paid. Keep searching for treasure. So keep searching, go and search. Go and search, go and look. And I just declare over those of you who are anxious and worrying about your finances, just declare rebates and refunds, inheritances and unexpected gifts, and that you will not worry. You will trust your Father because you are sons and daughters of the living God who loves you, who cares for you, who knows what you need. He is your provider and your protector. Thank you, Lord. thank you. Thank you for that truth. And God is proud of you as a daughter and a son. He loves you and you've not messed up in in your business. You've not messed up. And we just declare extreme favor on you. Just as the angel said to Mary, You are favored. Just declare, you are favored. God sees you. He sees your heart. You have not messed up. Just flick off that lie. Flick off the lie that you messed up. Flick it up. And choose to walk as a son or a daughter. Because you are free, you are free, because you are child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Some of you may not have heard the interpretation of the tongue. When a tongue is given in a corporate setting, there is always an interpretation. So I don't know who it was who gave the interpretation. Can you just Out loud, can you go for it? Maybe a... uh... Exalting God above all, he is the high king of heaven. He is the one, the only one, the one and only, and that we are here laying our tributes at his feet.
2: The reading today is taken from Luke 1, verse 39 to 56. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, All generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months. And then return to her home. This is the word of the Lord
0: Strip fraction. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would come now and speak. We just ask, Holy Spirit, I ask that whatever I say and Philly says, that maybe of the flesh would just fall to the ground, would not be remembered by anyone in this place, but anything that is of you that resonates with the sound and fragrance of heaven would land, would remain and would change us in Jesus name Amen Amen. So guys as you will well be aware now we are on our way through Luke's gospel but what I wanted to do was go back to the beginning to kind of do a recap Um, and it may be different to what you've heard in this house because obviously um, you know when we're working out what to say for a talk. James will have probably different revelation to me. His is usually much greater than mine. But, um, yes. So they're being blessed over at Washington today. But I have to say, when I looked at um, the start of Luke's gospel, literally the first four verses, I was staggered what I discovered in there. There is way more than I thought. And one of the things that um, sort of struck me was that Luke was really deliberately trying to show us that this is not a stop-start thing. He was not saying, okay, the Old Testament's finished, and now we have the New Testament. He's saying this is a continuation of the narrative. It's a continuing account. It's a continuing story. And he really, particularly in the, the three chapters, first three chapters of his, his gospel, really emphasizes that point And we see it um, sort of throughout. One of the interesting um, things about Luke is he was a Gentile. He was the only Gentile, non-Jewish writer in the New Testament. He's quite a young guy. And he would have written this account around late 60s, early 70s AD. And um, there would have been a lot of eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus still about that they would have been old and he would have been racing around, hanging out with them really like a sponge, soaking up all that they had to give because he was aware that if it wasn't written down and written down accurately, it could be lost. The reason for that is the times that they were living in. It was so tumultuous. So if you remember, it was AD 70, that the temple was utterly destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. And even towns and villages around were destroyed by the Romans because the rebellions going on with the Jewish people against occupation was violent. And I don't know if you're aware, but Jerusalem was... It was a long siege and it was grim, really, really bad. In fact, a lot of the descriptions that we get in Revelation that seem so unpleasant, that's what was being described as what was happening during that time. You know, there was even cannibalism going on. It was bad. So what Luke was trying to do was set these pillars down right at the start of his gospel. It's like pillars to a massive gateway. And what he's saying is, this account is utterly trustworthy. I've spent a lot of time, I've gone to a lot of effort, I've spoken to a lot of eyewitnesses to make sure that what I'm writing down is reliable, is trustworthy. You can stake your life on it. That's where, those were the pillars. But it was he was also in those first four verses, it was like big doors that were just being opened up. And it was an invitation to enter through this door into a place of intimacy with God through Jesus. Because in verse 4 it says, he says to Theophilus, so that you may know the truth. And we know that Jesus in John 14 said, I am truth so that you may know the word know there is the same word that's used to describe intimacy between a man and a woman it's an intimate relationship and this was right at the start he's saying this is trustworthy this is true and there's an invitation for everyone to walk through this door into a place of intimacy with jesus and then we move into verse 5 through to 25 which is the story of Zechariah. And I, I really love this story. So Zechariah, um, from the moment he was born, basically from the moment he could really speak, he would have, been start, they would have started the process of teaching him his vocation. He didn't have a choice about what he was going to do for a job. He was going to be a priest. Yeah. Because he was born into the order of Aaron. He he was in that priestly order. And that was the trajectory of his life. And he and Elizabeth, right at the beginning of that bit, were described as righteous and blameless before God. There are three other people in the Old Testament who are described as righteous and blameless. Does anyone know who they are that wasn't at the night? Noah is one no Job one more no begins with A yeah it says Abraham it's actually Job was the first and Job is reputedly the earliest book but do you see again, it's Luke just making this connection, Old, Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament. He's, he's just making the links. Um, who knows what the book of Job's about?
1: <laughs> huh?
0: I like tangents. Does anyone know what the book of Job's about? I don't know if everyone heard that, but he was righteous and blameless before God, and yet it appeared that God allowed all this horrendous stuff to happen to him. He refused to blame God, even though his friends, who actually represent the nations, were making all sorts of accusations. And ultimately, he received a reward that was supremely greater than what he had before. What's that a picture of? Because quite often, it's funny with the book of Job, people often associate it with healing and use it as a a reason for why God doesn't heal. But it's not about healing. It's got nothing to do with that. It's a reflection of Jesus. Think about every aspect. That's what Jesus walked through. So again, right at the beginning, what we're getting, the first book written, it's already talking about Jesus. Isn't that extraordinary? Anyway, that was a tangent. Hopefully it was a good one. Um, so around this time of Zechariah, there would have been about 20,000 priests. That's a lot. And he, in his particular section, there would have been about 1,000. And they had the opportunity to minister at the temple about twice a year. But they were chosen by lot as to whether they would have the honor of burning the incense which happened morning and evening before the sacrifice was made. And the idea was that when the sacrifice was made um, the incense, the smell of the incense would sort of surround it and the whole lot became this fragrant offering to the Lord. But many priests their whole lives would never get to do this because there were so many of them. So you can imagine Zachariah would have been so excited that finally, in, as an old man, he had his chance to burn the incense and to worship in that way. But the thing that's fascinating is that um, I think he would have been so focused on the responsibility that he was carrying. His whole life had been building to this moment. And I think he had no expectation of God speaking to him in there. None whatsoever. And yet Gabriel turns up with a message from heaven. There hasn't been a message from heaven for 400 years. The last message came through a guy called Zachariah. And Zachariah was here 400 years later receiving a message from heaven. The problem was, I think he was so focused on what he was doing, Gabriel gave him a lot of information. You're going to have a son in old age. Miracle. This is going to be his name. This is going to be what he does. It's just lots of information. But Zachariah's response was, essentially, give me a sign. I need to know this is true. Give me a sign. Unbelief poured out of him and as a result his voice was silenced if I stand at the front here with unbelief in my heart doesn't matter what I say carries no authority it's I may as well be silent my voice is silent his voice is restored when faith rises within him again when we have unbelief within us we're voiceless And then we move on to the account of Mary. Now, historians in the Apocrypha talk about Mary's parents being killed by um, Herod the Great when she was a toddler. But just before that happened, they put her into this order called the Order of the Temple of Virgins, and she was basically raised there. So this is just a little bit of context, and then Philly's going to come and talk a bit more about Mary. She was a Jewish woman, obviously. Jewish women had very few legal rights or economic rights. They had no right to divorce, but their husband could divorce them. So she could be divorced, as we know from the account we're gonna hear a bit about. If she had children, they would go to the husband and the husband's family. And if she had received any inheritance, that would go to her. So this is the kind of context in which Mary grew up in.
1: Mary, just to say, for all those of you watching at home online, hat is staying on the head, so gloves and coats, but we're on fire in here, aren't we? Come on. Mary is not often talked about um, in the Gospels, but... Um, there are three, the three main times the accounts of Mary, when she was present, were at uh, the Incarnation, obviously. She was there at the cross, and she was there at Pentecost. The accounts say that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Three key moments in the story of the Gospels and um, what an extraordinary woman. The more that I've looked at Mary I'm just astounded by this extraordinary woman and inspired by her and you know just thinking about for her as a young woman who um, you know in, in Deuteronomy it says if uh, um, an, uh, an engaged girl, it was, it was the same as being married effectively um, they had a year long engagement and if you were found to have been unfaithful you were taken to your father's house and you were stoned to death and unbelievably we still have that going on in, in our time these honour killings or what have you places around the world where women are being killed. Um, But anyway, that's an aside as well. What did this girl endure? What must she have endured having been told you're going to have a baby and found herself to be pregnant? What did she go through? She was on her own. All she had was that word of God. And how amazing, what a blessing that she could turn up to her, her relative Elizabeth. And for Elizabeth to affirm her and stand with her in all that she was going to going through. And we, we read, don't we, um, when the angel Gabriel uh, comes and says to Mary, greetings, oh highly favoured you are highly favoured, highly favoured one. It's a title um, it's it's it, 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 it's uh, this word about being highly favoured funny enough I think some of our our translators don't really like kind of what it says. It basically says that she is full of grace. The word is that she, there's a sort of completeness of grace on Mary. And it's not uh, used of anybody else. We do read a couple of times when a similar expression, so for instance, Stephen was described as being full of grace. Uh, Jesus, as the, the, uh, I think it's in John chapter 1, is described as being full of grace. Um, through, throughout um, uh, the Psalms, the righteous and the people of Israel um, are known as, as being highly favoured as well, but this expression, full of grace. And of course, in the Catholic tradition, there's the prayer, um, Hail Mary, full of grace. And that is taken from this particular greeting. And um, from it is taken um, the, the, the sense of um, uh, what is known as the Immaculate Conception. Have you heard, some of you maybe from a, a Catholic background will know um, of, so what do you think of when you hear about the Immaculate Conception? What, what do you think the Immaculate Conception is? What's that? Yes! Did you hear that? Uh, Mary is thought to be sinless. It's Mary is thought to be sinless. And this actually only came about, this Catholic dogma only came about in 1854 from Pope Pius IX. And of course, because it was deemed to be uh, divine revelation, it's deemed to be truth irreversible. And so there you've got this sense that that the Catholic tradition who would believe that Mary was utterly sinless from the moment of her conception. That is what the Immaculate Conception refers to. And um, it's interesting, um, I feel like we, as in the Protestant tradition, get in a bit of a pickle about Mary because we, I, I feel like we've got so much to learn. Um, years ago, uh, 2003, Patrick and I had the privilege of hearing um, a, a speaker at uh, a conference, uh, who, he's a chap called Father Raniero Cantalemessa, and he is preacher to the papal household. And he was invited to come and speak at, um, at this week long, conference. And uh, he got a lot of stick, bless him, for coming. He got a lot of stick from within his community, from the Vatican, um, for having, what are you doing, going to speak to these Protestants? What are you doing? This is a preacher to the Pope coming to speak to those in the Protestant tradition. And he got a lot of stick. And he, um, I remember seeing him in the in the dining hall at breakfast, surrounded by some of the young adults, and he was talking to them. And basically, they were asking him questions, and which I can imagine, which I have done myself. But what about Mary? What about Mary? What is it that you believe about Mary? And so Father Raniero stood up at the conference and said, I've decided to not speak about what I was gonna talk on. I've decided to talk you about Mary. And so he started his talk by saying this, he's a beautiful man, so humble, just a gentle, lovely man. He said this, as a Catholic, we recognise that we are responsible for having made Mary a topic of divisions because of our exaggerations and unbiblical quotations and affirmations. We have a defensiveness about Mary. So we are responsible for a different look at Mary. We need to recover a biblical relationship with Mary. He said all this uneasiness came after the Reformation, but the fathers of the Reformation were very positive about Mary. So I believe that we, in the Protestant tradition, have sort of have swung over this way and have almost thrown out a lot of stuff that we can learn from Mary. And if there's this sort of deep unease because the Catholic tradition feels to us like way over here. But I feel this, there can be some balance and we can come back and invite the Holy Spirit to each one of us to bring revelation what can we learn from this extraordinary woman? Because she is a model for us. She's a model of extraordinary faith, isn't she? Just think about you know, the difference between Mary receiving the revelation through the angel Gabriel and Zechariah. Mary, she did ask for some information, it's like well how is this going to happen so contrast that with Zechariah who said, who wanted a sign Mary believed and Elizabeth affirms this in verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her, you know um, uh, Elizabeth must have uh, received revelation that Uh, Mary was pregnant in this way. Mary had been told by the angel Elizabeth your relative is going to have a baby but it appears as though Elizabeth was, uh, Mary which way have I got that round there was revelation. (laughs) There was revelation. (laughs) But um, I, I do, I just think we've got so much to learn about her her the position of her heart was, was that she believed, she believed. Despite everything, she chose to believe the word that was spoken to. I feel that like we have so much to learn in that respect. And it's interesting that we, when, as Patrick talks about, you know, as we, we journey through uh, the Old Testament and the stories, that we have of so many women who were used by God to fulfill his mission, so many of those women were either barren or had no hope of um, having children. So obviously you've got Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Tamar, Ruth, Hannah, and then Elizabeth. And it feels as though there's like a reversal of De- from death to life, from barrenness, and now suddenly, this extraordinary miracle, a miracle, that God would chose to be born through a woman, is amazing. And um, years ago, uh, not years ago, 2016 oh, is that right Yeah, 2016, I had the um, privilege of going to Israel. And uh, we went um, traveling around some of the sites. It was an amazing time. I absolutely loved it. And uh, we went to Nazareth. And one of the churches we went, I wandered into a courtyard where there is a statue, a sculpture of Mary. And um, we had a little bit of time, and the other party that I was with, some of them wandered off, and we just had a little time. But I found myself, I kept being drawn back to this statue Of Mary and I knew that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and um, what was extraordinary and I was captivated by was um, this picture of Mary standing with a snake under her feet now apparently there seemed to be a lot of depictions I don't know whether Jacob you're able to pull up that picture this isn't the actual sculpture that I saw but this is something similar So it happened, you get this a lot in the Catholic tradition of Mary with the snake under her feet. And I was looking, I was so captivated, I was like, what are you saying? What are you saying? Because I was like, hang on a minute, in Genesis, it's the offspring of Mary, it's her seed that the snake is crushed under his heel, isn't it? It's him. So why is it under Mary's feet? And um, it turns out that um, uh, Jerome, who translated the Bible in, in, in the fourth century, so he translated the Bible into Latin, and um, he basically said, hold on a sec, I'm gonna look it up, Gen- it's, um, so the verse in Genesis 3, so you've got the serpent. Uh, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, curse to you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then he said this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring or seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jerome translated it as she shall bruise your head and cross and uh, be and bruise his heel. So the Catholic tradition, the Bible, the Diary Reims Bible, which they use, is taken from the Latin translation, and that is where you get uh, Mary crushing the snake under the heel. But I I just think there's something in here for us as well, The sense of Mary believed, she trusted, she said yes to God, she yielded her life, and because she has chosen to say yes to God, she is carrying the Messiah. And it's, as a, it's, it's obviously it's through Jesus that we are redeemed, and girls, we, us women are redeemed, aren't we? So don't forget that weird verse in 1 Timothy which talks about Eve who was deceived and became a transgressor, I'm like, really? really, it feels like the weight of the sin of the world is on me. That's not what the word of God says though. But it sometimes feels like that. And then the weird verse, it says that they, she will be saved through childbearing. How about it saying she will be saved through bearing a child, the Messiah? What do you think? Could it possibly mean, mean that? That women, the reversal of the curse of childbearing could be redeemed through Mary choosing to say yes. I leave that with you for the Holy Spirit to, to ponder, to weigh for you, to ponder in your hearts, to look into it yourself, allow him to speak to you and to be set free from any condemnation. Jesus, paid the full price. Thank you, God, so much. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. May we yield our hearts, may we yield our lives, so that as we do that, just like the, the, the little um, verse in the carol, A Little Town of Bethlehem, which says, be born in us today. So as we, each one, yield our lives like Mary to say, yes, God, be born in me today through my yielded life so that life may come wherever I go. And I uh, heard a beautiful testimony, somebody at Washington last week uh, was saying that, as that somebody uh, years ago had preached on what's known as the Magnificat, Mary's Prayer. As, as someone had preached on this and she chose in her heart to yield her life, her whole life, she went forward for communion and she said she came back from the communion rail speaking in tongues. And it's like, because uh, we, we have to be born again don't we? We have to be born again. This is what Jesus uh, tells Nicodemus, that we have to be born again. So our yielded hearts allow God to be born in us. And then there is life in all its fullness. So let's choose today to yield our lives so that he can be born in us. Over to you, my hubby.
0: that (laughs) so the yielded life what Philly's described is again right at the beginning of Luke's gospel we get a picture of a way to live through the life of his mum through the life of Jesus' mum Mary's life was yielded And, and literally she did not love her life so much as unto death Revelation 12 she was, she was literally laying it down. So what is the, the yielded, laid down, sacrificed life? What's it, what's it all about? Why is it important? One of the things that's uh, kind of dawned on me in uh, sort of recent times, I would say probably in the last year or so, is that I have completely, I've been a Christian all my life, and I have completely missed this aspect of the Christian life. I don't know quite why. I definitely haven't heard many sermons talked about it. If, if I have, they've gone straight over the roof. But to me, what I've realized is they are, it's a fundamental foundation of our Christian life. Because every single one of us is born into this world with the nature of Adam and Eve, which is inherently self-focused, self-centered. Before the Fall, self-centeredness didn't exist. Extraordinary. The, the relationship between Adam and Eve, between Adam, Eve, Eve and the Father, it was selfless. But at the Fall, self became preeminent. Which is why, as Philly has said, Jesus, right at the beginning of John's gospel, when speaking in John 3, speaking to Nicodemus, said, Nicodemus, this is imperative because he understood the nature of which every human being is born. You've got to be born again. It's vital. It's vital if you want to live a kingdom life. You have to be born again. So what that made me think about was, you know, if I wake up in the morning and I haven't slept very well, I can be quite grumpy. I know it's hard to believe, but, <laughs> but if I wake up in the morning and I've had a great night's sleep and we're about to jump on a flight to the Caribbean, <laughs> life's amazing, isn't it? Which basically means my emotional life is doing this all the time, isn't it? Because it all depends, usually, what's going on up here. In my dianoia, the Greek word, mind. Which also means imagination, which is extraordinary. The things that we really dwell on and allow our minds to run with it often informs how I'm going to do in that day. And then if people are lovely to me, I'm kind of floating around. But if I'm getting criticized a lot, I can feel very defensive, angry. I need to justify my position. So that then raises a question in me, what makes me any different to anyone else? Any, anyone who does not profess to follow Jesus, am I... Really, am I any different? And unfortunately, I think sometimes the answer is no, I'm not. I I behave exactly as other people do. But, Mary's showing us something different. Jesus shows us something different at a whole different level. But it's all rooted in a yielded life so this is i think why jesus said if anyone would come after me they must deny themselves and luke very wisely says daily pick up their cross literally crucify self self self-focus on a daily basis and then follow and follow Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, extraordinary man, um, listened to one of his books recently, and I literally didn't understand anything in it, because he's very clever. But there was one bit that really jumped out at me, and it was this. He said this, salvation is free. We know that, don't we? It's a gift of grace. It's unearned, undeserved, and yet it's ours if we just believe who Jesus is and what he did for us. It's a free gift, but he goes on and he says discipleship will cost you your life. But we don't always hear about the cost of following Jesus. I don't know about you, but most of my life I thought that following Jesus was all about the blessing I'm going to receive. And there is. There is blessing abundance. But that cannot be the purpose for which I follow Him. But it has been, if I'm honest, it has been, and I'm waking up now to the reality of no. There's a requirement to lay down everything, including my emotional life, so that then triggered a question in me: What does the born-again emotional life look like? Now, when when the stuff hits the fan <laughs> and like because life happens to all of us doesn't it we all have it we're not immune to it but the difference is there's a capacity that's available to us that means we can travel through life thriving no matter what's going on but how do we do that how do we do that Paul got to a place And I find this really encouraging because um, he's very human. He had a a messed up past, but he got to a place where he could say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, Paul, who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And this life I live in the flesh, in this body today, I live through the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's hugely exciting, because for me that tells me it is possible to live that way, fully yielded, with the emotional born-again life. I didn't say what it looks like. To me, I think the born-again emotions looks like fruits of the Spirit. So when life happens, injustice criticism, whatever it might be, or just business has collapsed, marriage has collapsed, children have run off. What flows out of us should be, and I'm a work in progress guy, I'm seriously not there yet, but I know it's possible, fruits of the spirit. That's what the born again emotional life looks like, fruits of the spirit. We mustn't feel condemnation here because we're all going to be in different places on this journey. But be encouraged that this is possible. One of the things I realized is I try to emanate the fruits of the Spirit when things aren't going well. I'm not very good at it, I've realized. I need miraculous Holy Spirit help. We cannot make this happen. But we can choose to go in that trajectory, in that direction and then Holy Spirit will partner with us. And something miraculous happens, whereby, like Jesus in the killer storm, which I believe was demonically energized to wipe out Jesus and the disciples in a moment. The disciples were seasoned seamen, fishermen. They knew the waters, yet they were frightened, really, really frightened. They thought they were going to die. This storm was bad. Jesus is asleep. The boat must have been full of water. He's asleep. They wake him up, and what flows from him? Fruit of the Spirit. Peace. And it affects everything around him. So, I need to move on. How do we live this way? 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith. We live by faith, not by faith. Sight, natural sight. I think this is key. Really, really important. Jesus said, um, I only do, this is in John 5, 19, I can do nothing of my own accord. So he's saying, guys, I'm like you, I'm a human being. I can do nothing of my own accord, but I only do what I see the Father do, which is why you see these miracles see what the father does John 8 Jesus says I speak from what I have seen with my father so how does that work well in Ephesians 2 we know that we're seated with him in heavenly realms but you and I both know that our bodies and our minds are here so what bit of us is seated in the heavenly realms I think it's our spirit, and so again, it's an invitation. How do we connect with our spirit person seated right next to Jesus right now, who is at the right hand of God the Father Himself? Because I think as we learn to do that, what happens is similar to the Jairus's daughter story. Is everyone familiar with that? Jairus's daughter is unwell, really unwell. He's a leader in the community. He's come to Jesus and said, please come and heal my daughter. He's just healed uh, the woman who's touched his garment. And so Jesus says, yes, of course I'll come. And then friends come and say, don't worry him anymore. I'm sorry your daughter is dead. Now we all know from earthly mind, body, that is true. The earthly reality is Jairus' daughter was dead. But Jesus sees from a different perspective. He sees from a perspective that is with his father. And he releases what we now discover is a greater truth, a greater reality, into the earthly one. So he says to Jairus, to Jairus, No, no, your daughter is not dead. She's asleep. No, she's dead. But there's a greater reality. And of course, he wakes her up. Seeing from our spirit enables that. But here's another thing I'm beginning to realize, because I ask the question of myself, why don't we see more? I've been asking that for years. But I feel like the Lord's shown me something recently and it's related to the yielded life. Because what I realized is Jesus' life was utterly laid down, yielded. There was no self-focused life in him, no self-centeredness in him. In me, there's a battle position all the time. The self- And then there's Jesus trying to get a bit more space within me. And suddenly I realize, okay, if if I can begin to live out a fully yielded, laid down life, which is less or even with no self-centre, no self-focus, then all the space within me can be filled with Him. And as a result, Father's will flows and is done on the earth, just as it was with Jesus and the early church. So that's kind of exciting, isn't it? The possibilities for more. But it's rooted in the laid down life. So if we've been raised with Christ, which we have, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father, set our minds on things above, because we have died. And are hidden in Christ and God. We've died because we've been nailed. But it has to be us, every day, nailing self, our self-focused, self-centered nature, living life through how I'm doing today to that cross. And we need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. As I say, no condemnation, there is no condemnation on anyone who's wrestling with stuff. But I think we should be excited at the possibility and the prospect of this freedom coming. I think the narrow door that we're encouraged to walk through is the narrow door of nailing self. And as we go through it, suddenly we're into a wide thoroughfare of the abundant life that Jesus paid for.
1: Stand. I had a, a sense whilst we were worshipping of um, I don't know if any of you have been watching that program, that show on Sunday nights about the SAS. So, um, what's it called? Rogue Heroes or something? It's a bit gritty. SAS Rogue Heroes. SAS, Rogue Heroes. Um, it's about the the. Um, beginnings of, of, the, of how the SAS came about and it's a, it's a bit gritty it's a bit gritty this program but what struck me is um, there's, there was a recklessness and a willingness to, to die for what they believed in to, because there was a war on and there there's still a war on and I, the, I had a, a picture, I think, it, I think maybe I was sort of looking at these wings of this, uh, on the stained glass window and I think, doesn't the SAS emblem have wings? And it says, uh, what's their motto? Who dares, who dares wins. Dares wins. And this is what came to my mind, who dares wins. Jesus said, you have to lose your life to find life. When you lose your life, you will find life. And it's, it's the, the, the S.A.S., the sort of parachute regiment, it's like uh, you're jumping out of a plane. It's like a willingness to jump out of the plane because he's got you covered. So the willingness to lay down your life, because he's got you covered. And I had a, a, a picture, or it was an expression more like, uh, I feel like for us as a church, he's calling us, saying he's saying it's time to pin back your ears, because you're about, to, it's, it's almost like, you know how uh, a dog races, sort of like a greyhound. It's like pinning back your ears because you're about to be let out of the trap and set off down the track at high speed with your ears pinned back. And it's the se- sense as well, isn't it? The, right, I'm going to jump out of this aeroplane, pin back my ears, buckle up, be ready. I just have a strong sense. So it's like a willingness to die. Father, I pray that you would help us do the impossible in us as you are born in us today, that our lives are so yielded that we are ready and willing, ears pinned back, to jump out, not knowing what's ahead, but trusting in you, Lord. Just like Mary, we have no idea what's ahead or what it's going to look like. But all we say, Lord, is we trust you. We believe in you, Lord. And we trust you wholly with our lives. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And fill us afresh that our trust is fully placed in you today with lives laid down, ready, expected for what you're going to do in and through us as you are born in us again today. Come, Holy Spirit of the living God, would you be at work doing the impossible in each one of us and for us Uh, I just have this sense of us of the corporate nature of this so just as the SAS as a regiment they're looking out for one another I just have a sense of we're in this together because some of us are called to do some crazy things crazy in the eyes of the world will you stand with us will you stand with one another as we say, yes, I'm going to put myself out there, I'm going to put myself out there, willing and ready to be mocked by the world, whoever, whatever it is. A laid down life as we do this, we're in this together.
0: Guys, we're just, um, just this essence of laid down, yieldedness. Um, Don't, don't, let this be just a one-talk thing. What I've realized is, um, certainly for me, it's not an instant fix. There's a process and it's happening over time. I'm aware of change personally that's going on. But let's not let go of it, because what I realize is, it is a foundation of our faith, and if we don't have it, this yieldedness at work in us, we won't be effective, certainly in the area of the miraculous not in the way that God wants us to be so it's really important to Him, so don't let go of it. okay, keep pursuing it in your own personal um, time with the Lord, allow Him, allow Holy Spirit to do a miraculous work of transformation Amen, Amen, let's worship Him